This is episode 315, and today we're chatting about eating psychology, understanding how you interact with food, your body, your environment, and how this dictates your nutrition goals. We really want to hone in on the rules of nutrition and why they're not so great for you. In fact, I got a message on Instagram the other day, and it was a reader laughing because on her Instagram feed, there was one post, I believe it was from Dave Asprey, talking about how beans and kale are the worst thing ever. They're going to kill you. They're going to ruin your goals. It's horrible. And the very next image on Instagram from another influencer, um, a highly followed influencer was a kale and bean salad and being the best thing for you. And so I think a lot of the times we could get so wrapped up in rules and what we should and should not do. And I was actually having a conversation uh, with a trauma doctor and we were just talking about how often recommendations shift, what we should and shouldn't do. So I'm really excited to share this episode with y'all because if one of us is frustrated, I feel like so many more of us are frustrated with all the different things that have been happening and how you're supposed to take care of your body. Uh, Our guest today is Autumn Smith, who suffered from debilitating digestive issues and crippling anxiety for most of her life. Specialist after specialist told her nothing could be done and she was ready to give up. But as one final attempt, at a life free of health issues, Autumn decided to harness the power of whole foods. She cleaned up her diet and in just 30 days, her IBS was cured. But that was just the beginning. She also had less anxiety, was mentally sharper, and a bubbly side of her that she forgot existed came back. Since then, Autumn has dedicated her life to helping others harness the power of whole foods to live vibrant lives. In 2013, she and her husband, Chaz, launched Paleo Valley, a company dedicated to help helping people get the essential nutrients they need without added sugars, grains, or any other harmful ingredients. But they didn't stop there. After learning about the healing powers of grass-fed pasture-raised meat, both for our bodies and the planet, Autumn and Chaz started their next venture. In 2018, they launched Wild Pastures, a regenerative meat delivery service that sends 100% grass-fed pasture-raised meat directly to your doorstep. Oh, goodness. Autumn has been on the show a couple of times. I really, really enjoy chatting with her. We really hit it off always. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation with all of you. If you have questions about today's content, you can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. You can catch up on previous podcast episodes and notes from today's show by going to ketodietpodcast.com. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Hey, Autumn, how's it going? going very well, Leanne. I'm really, really honored to be here. So thanks for having me on. Always great to see you. You just make me smile. Always so great to see you. It's been a while. It's been a really long while. It's been like a year, I feel like. But I mean, this year, so many things have changed. (laughs) What is a year? I don't even know at this point. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) So I would love to hear in your own words, kind of who you are, what you do, how you got involved in eating psychology. Yeah. Well, 
you know, I was basically someone who struggled hardcore when she hit her teens, not only digestive issues, I think it started with digestive issues. And then just no one really had a solution for me. I lived in this small town in Montana and I don't think people really understood it back then anyway, but then they kind of snowballed into like some mental health struggles and I was always in pain and I didn't know how to get out of it. So I would be drinking, I would be smoking. I would just be trying to get out of my body or soothe myself in all these unhealthy ways, drugs, all the things. And um, I even got kicked out of my parents' house before I graduated high school. So I was going to high school, living on my own. And I kind of continued this. I, I did like pull it together and get to college. Like learning has always been one of the things that I love most about life. And so I was able to do that. And then I met my husband and um, I always was that person just like pushing through, just like, it's okay. I'm in pain. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to even have a smile and everything's going to look fine. But when he moved in with me, it was like really hard to keep up that facade because he was just like, wow, you look like you're pregnant after meals and like you're waking up in the middle of the night and like, what is happening? And so he wanted me to get some help. And we tried again when we lived in Los Angeles at that time. But again, no one really had solutions. I had IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, it's a wastebasket diagnosis. I'm sure your listeners are aware. And then I wasn't, I took antidepressants and all the things when I was young and they made me feel like a zombie. I had like one thought an hour, this emotional spectrum that is me, it was gone. And so it wasn't enough we looked to diet. My husband got on the internet and found that diet was a solution that some people were seeing success with. And of course, I thought that was total BS, but I did it anyway. And it, it literally changed my health, my life, my digestive health in 30 days. And then it just brought like a, a sense of empowerment to my life that I, I was so hopeless like before that, that I think it changed the trajectory from then on. And I've, you know, had a journey with the mental health stuff and eating psychology was actually what I studied before I even went back and got my master's for holistic nutrition. And I feel really lucky for that because rather than looking for all the answers and food and exactly what I'm consuming and like, I had a broader understanding of the role of food and like in mental health and wellness. And so I was trained by Mark David at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating and, um, it's amazing. And I'm excited to share it. Awesome. And this is something that I think a lot of people, like you say, we focus so much on how much am I eating? What is the quality of the food? But there's not a lot of conversation around the psychology of our eating. And can you share a little bit about what eating psychology is just as a broad explanation? Um, well, yeah, basically eating psychology is like looking at why we eat the way that we do. Like you said, a lot of us holistic nutritionists, we're, we're worried about the quality of our food and what we're putting in our bodies. But we're not equally as concerned with, but what I hope we do become more concerned with is who we are as eaters. Like, who are we bringing to the table? Because it's not only about the food. It's not like everyone's going to digest, assimilate food similarly. They won't. It's like how we're feeling, how stressed are we, how much we're enjoying the food. All of those variables are really, really important for the way that we're going to take that food and what we're going to do with it. And also the reasons we're eating the way that we're eating. So if we're overeating, binge eating, body image, it's all of those things is what we're talking about when it comes to eating psychology. And what I heard in there also is a bio-individuality of even as we discover eating psychology, how I digest a big plate of food is going to be completely different than how you digest a big plate of food. And so that's something that I've noticed a lot lately. It's people starting to kind of focus on, wait a minute, I can't eat the same as this other person, even though we are the same age, we work out very similarly. Like there's a lot of bio-individuality that's required in order to have a successful quote unquote diet. 
Oh my God. A hundred percent. And then to add to that, it's not only like, I can't do this period. It's like, who am I today? Who am I right now? Where am I at now? Because even what you're going to be able to eat or what might be optimal for you will change with the seasons because you're dynamic and we're always changing. And so, yes, it is. That's absolutely key. CBD oil has massively reduced my symptoms of anxiety. The benefits of CBD are all encompassing like inflammation reduction, improving digestive function, improving sleep quality, reducing acne. But here's what you have to know before you grab a random bottle and start supplementing. Please, 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 please research your options thoroughly and look for a CBD oil that uses hemp seed oil as a carrier oil, not safflower oil, not MCT oil, not olive oil, hemp seed oil, okay? The hemp seed oil means that the plant has been kept in its purest whole plant form, allowing the terpenes and cannabinoids to work together in unison in your body to give you the powerful entourage effect that everyone raves about when it comes to the power of CBD. Among high-quality CBD options, Eaton Hemp's unfiltered, full-spectrum CBD oil is an all-organic choice. They are one of the first unfiltered CBD products to be USDA certified organic. This guarantees what you see is what you get. No toxins, no pesticides, no label trickery. And I gotta tell you, the CBD market is filled with label trickery. <laughs> Eaton Hemp uses hemp seed oil as a carrier for the CBD, giving you the full entourage effect, maximum absorption, potency, effectiveness, terpenes, and cannabinoids, aka results. <laughs> These are all good things. Now, what I love, 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 love most about Eaton Hemp is they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. As far as I know, this is the only hemp company that backs up their product by a 30-day guarantee. What does this mean for you? If you don't see the results you're looking for, they refund no questions asked. They put together a special podcast offer for listeners. If you go to eatenhemp.com slash keto diet and use the code keto diet, you'll get 20% off all Eaton Hemp CBD products. Again, that's keto diet over at eatenhemp.com slash keto diet. What do you feel is the biggest mistake when it comes to thinking about our eating issues? If we are, in your case, it sounds like we had a very similar upbringing, getting kicked out of our house <laughs> during high school and all those things. And we're trying to figure it out. And you and I are both like really hungry to learn things. What are some of the mistakes that people make as they're looking at all their food and they're like, wait, I, I need to do some work here. Perhaps I need to eliminate grains and perhaps I need to do this. What are we not thinking of as we're adjusting our diet? Yeah, I love that question. Basically, that it's not like our eating issues are not necessarily about food. And that sounds so weird, right? Because it's like we have spent all this time and like I have like many, many programs that I've done just about food, but often food is like, a doorway. It's, you got to look at your relationship to it because it's generally pointing to something deeper. And it's just kind of a way to get our attention for us to learn something. And there's many different reasons that someone might have um, like a challenge with food. It could actually be about when you peel the layers back, like your primary relationship, and maybe it's not working right now. Maybe you're not living authentically within that relationship and you're using food as a way to like, or trying to perfect your food as a way to kind of check out from that. It could be 
be about healing your sexuality, or maybe there's an authenticity there. It could be about your family of origin and dynamics that you picked up in childhood. It could be about perfectionism. Our culture kind of idealizes being a perfectionist, but it's actually a really imbalanced way to live. And using food to kind of play that out sets us up to be kind of perpetually disappointed and dissatisfied, and it can ruin intimacy. And so there's a lot of different reasons that we're having eating challenges. But the big mistake I see other than acknowledging that, oh my gosh, here is this opportunity to heal is also just trying to fix it. Like seeing it, if we're having an eating challenge, is something that something is wrong with me. And I know that place because I lived in that place for a really long time. I hope people learn to do is kind of look at that behavior. Look at it as if your child was acting that way with that same love and care. And then just get curious about it rather than being judgmental about it and looking at it as a bad part of it. Just say, okay, if this was here to teach me a lesson, to point me in a certain direction, what would that lesson be? I also have people sometimes take like a, just a stress inventory and you just like on a scale of one to 10, where are you at with your primary relationship? And that's not always like who you're living with. You spend the most time thinking about family of origin, finances, works, a big one, authenticity, perfectionism. Are you living that way? So yeah, I, I guess just knowing that food issues are not often about food, they're pointing you to something deeper and then not feeling the need to just fix, fix myself. I have to fix myself. We're all okay, right? We're doing the best we can <laughs> with what we've got and we're all here to just learn anyway. So those are the mistakes I see people making. Yeah. And I think that what I heard from you is the curiosity, more of just when you notice those little things, something that I found for myself personally is when I go in guns blazing, I'm like, I'm a fix myself. It always ends <laughs> up being that I ruin everything. I get so high strung and so stressed out and I don't fix anything. But when I'm just curious and I'm like, I wonder what would feel like if I did X, Y, Z, like right now I'm playing around with eating three meals a day and a little bit before that, I was like, I want to try one meal a day. And what would it feel like if I did this? And how does this impact my thoughts or even my yes. spiritual health? I've noticed a lot recently as I am a newly Christian, having spiritual health in like a very healthy way has informed a lot of my eating choices. And mm. when you feel fulfilled spiritually, I find that I'm making completely different choices as it relates to specifically the behavior around food. Is that kind of what you're saying is kind of looking outside? of just, I need to fix all of this and being curious as to what would it feel like if I did this? That's exactly what I'm saying. I think that is the person that we want to bring to the table is that person who has the curiosity rather than the judgment, rather than trying to find the perfect diet who someone else has discovered something and I'm going to apply it at me. Because the point is fixing the body is not going to fix the problem or what you're experiencing, right? We need to learn immediately to accept the body that we're living in and then stay curious about it every single day. What's working now? What's working now? It's when we accept ourselves and get inside our body. We call it embodiment in eating psychology rather than living in our head and learning more and paying attention to what other people are doing. Like really get in and get curious about our own feedback. Curiosity is like my favorite word. I think it is the most important thing when you, when it comes to these eating challenges.
Completely. And what I love there is fixing the body is not going to fix the problem. And I I can tell you, you know, I've been, I've had six pack abs, didn't fix the problem. I got down to my ideal weight, didn't fix the problem. No matter what I did, finish my first triathlon, didn't fix the problem. Like all these things in my head that I thought if I could achieve X, Y, Z, then all of a sudden everything would be good in so many ways. Like what you were saying is that embodiment wasn't there. I wasn't curious. I was just like, la, 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 not listening. Here's what we're doing. It actually made the problem a lot worse. Yeah. And I want to share that, like, I was a celebrity fitness trainer back in the day. And I don't say that. So it's like, oh, look at me. It's like, I was the least happy with my body when every day, I I mean, like I was ripped. I remember for my wedding, I had to put my hands up in the air before I walked down the aisle because my muscles were so big and the veins were like popping out. I mean, and people would look at me like, that's a good thing. But I was like embarrassed and very strong. But I went to that studio and every day I would find something else. Oh, but just a little bit here. Oh, but look at the way that thought. Oh my gosh. And I worked with some of the most quote unquote beautiful people in the world and they were no more happy, even though they had what people are like looking for. And I think that I just want to talk about, it leads me to one of the other major drivers is these like toxic nutritional beliefs that we kind of pick up. The most toxic of which I believe is I will be happy when. I'll be happy when I change the body. I'll be happy when I make the money. And what we need to realize is when we do that, when we put our happiness somewhere in the future, then we're just held, it's it's held hostage essentially. And so again, it's just about getting into the body as it is, fully accepting it, be present with it and understanding that you need to get the end results now. So what is it that you're looking for? What will you do differently? How will you go? You know, you'll be more confident. Maybe you'll go for a job. Maybe you'll dress differently. Maybe you'll go different places. We need to do those things now because that's going to create the happiness that might lead to the bodily transformation anyway. But when we wait until somewhere far off in the future for us to finally start living the life that we need or that would make us the most fulfilled, it's just a life of pain and suffering, honestly. Yeah. I mean, when you say I'll be happy when what you're really saying is I can't be happy now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people then also believe like, this is not my real body. This is not me again. So what is that causing? When we say that to ourselves, we're totally disembodied. We're living outside of ourselves. And also when it comes to like living or looking that certain way or bodily perfection, it's often an emotion we're looking for underneath that anyway. So if you can think about the things that bring you that emotion, like if it's joy or if it's confidence, making a list of other things that make you feel confident and then adding those things into your life right now so that it's not so reliant on food and this bodily perfection that won't even come. And even if you do achieve the exact goal, it will not be as satisfying as you think it is. It just unfortunately never is. I mean, for a small section of the population, that might be true. Like you might have wanted to lose a hundred pounds and that would make your life significantly different. And that might be true. But for a lot of us who are stuck in that cycle. It it won't. It's just the next thing you get there and you're like, well, no, no, no. Well now like I'll do this. And it's just, it's never ending. (laughs) That hedonic treadmill, right? Everything you think that is going to bring you the joy and it's going to be it. And then like you've achieved this amazing goal. And then it's like a day later, you're like, okay. Uh. And (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, yep. So, and it's very dissatisfying. I know for years and years and years, chasing after something that I thought would make me happy, just when I got that thing, I still felt just as empty. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I think one thing that's been really helpful for me in my experience with that emptiness feeling that we have is serving others, truly <laughs> being in service of others. You completely forget all of the things and you're not obsessing in your mind about what you look like in yesterday's jeans, or you're just there present with other people and serving that I think has been the most fulfilling thing for me which is not something that I would have thought would help the situation. It's interesting, isn't it? I heard a quote the other day that human beings are happiest when they're giving or growing. And that just, yeah, that meant a lot to me because that is my pursuit. It's not to be the best or the most beautiful or the thinnest. It's just like just a little bit better than I was yesterday. And you're right, that focus on, okay, how can my, what I'm doing today improve the lives of others? It totally takes us outside of ourselves and it gives us this bigger perspective. And sometimes when I work with clients, I often think of like, okay, this kind of sounds morbid, but we're going to bring death into the picture. Okay. Say you had to die and you're writing your own obituary. What do you want people to remember about you? That you had a perfect body and that you were looking your best is like, probably not. What you probably want is like, my life was impactful for others. It served others. It, you know, I had a, I was a great mom or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, we have to forget that, but I think it's a very important point. I love the obituary idea. I often think of what am I going to feel or think on my deathbed? Like God willing, I'm sitting there in my nineties and I, you know, I have my family around me and I'm like, I had the best six pack for like 30 years. That was top achievement. You know, like I often think of that and I'm like, no, Leanne, no, you're going to be like, I did this and I went here and I helped this person and this and that. And oh, I'm so thankful for the people that were in my life and the fellowship that I had and blah, 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 blah that's what I'm going to be thinking. And that kind of snaps me out of it also. <laughs> totally. Cause we have so much energy and possibility and potential as women. And I think far too often these energies are just like diverted to these, you know, what seems important right now, but ultimately not that important. Won't really matter that much. So yeah. I don't think I can do the ketogenic diet because I love wine. This is the statement that so, so, so many women have told me. And my answer is always, but have you heard of Dry Farm Wines? They're the only wine club that offers zero sugar wines. This means that you can have a glass or two, maybe three, and it won't affect your ketones. All of their wines are sourced from small, sustainable farms. They're natural, organic, low in alcohol, have zero additives, zero carbs. And when you order by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash wine, you're going to get an extra bottle of wine for a penny in your first order. Again, that's healthfulpursuit.com slash wine. And if you're unsure of the link, simply check out today's show notes for all the details. So you mentioned nutritional beliefs, toxic nutritional beliefs. Are there any others that we fall victim of often in our journey? Oh man, in this culture, it's kind of like an uphill battle, right? And one that I often work with, with women in particular, is it just like food is the enemy. So our culture tells us or has, you know, I think that's changing now, which is really wonderful. A thin body equals success and love and like 
power. And therefore, if we believe that, then food is kind of our enemy because we're going to eat food and then all of a sudden it's going to make us bigger. And this is really, really toxic because we have to eat. We have to biologically. It is a necessity. And so if every time we're eating, even subconsciously, we believe that food is the enemy, it creates digestive shutdown. There's actually really interesting research around if you are stressed when you're eating, you're not absorbing, your metabolism is going down. And so food being the enemy, we have to remember that it's supposed to be a really pleasurable experience. And we need to bring that back as women. So that's one of them. Another one is just like exercising more and eating less is key. And of course, we know that's not the answer either, because that just makes us chronically exhausted, a lot of times nutrient deficient. And again, we just have all of this energy trapped up in how much am I eating every day, weighing my food, and how much am I exercising? And then things like fat in our food should be feared. I know you've totally dispelled that myth for your audience, but surprisingly, there's still a lot of people out there that I work with that are coming up against that. And then also just food is just calories, right? This is something that I fell victim to back in the day. I was a ballerina growing up, and so my mom, and she had the very best of intentions, and she's an amazing mother, but she told me, food, it's it's all the same. You can have whatever you want, it's just as, much, as long as you have the right amount of calories. And so I just ate candy. And uh, so I was like, well, it's gonna, I really like that. So it doesn't matter. So I guess I'll just eat that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that, you know, I didn't fare so well. But I think when we look at it just like that, we forget about its brilliance, we don't make good choices and on and on. But there's quite a few of them. But I think those are the main ones that I come up against. I was the same. My mother had the same conversation with me. It doesn't matter what you eat. And I was like, candy. Yep. That's what I'm going to live on. Why not? (laughs) I sold my things so that I could get money. And then I'd buy like six candy bars and like caramel apple suckers every day. I was called the caramel apple sucker girl. Or just, you know, not good. I remember my sister and I won a Safeway gift card. This was like a grocery store in Canada. We went to Safeway to get candy. And then we did this little giveaway thing. And we actually won a $50 Safeway gift card while we were checking out with the candy. And we looked at each other like, more candy. (laughs) And just went back and bought more. So... Yeah. (laughs) I feel you on the candy. It's so tasty. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a pleasurable experience and I imagine like eating slowly, taking our time. How crucial is this for our health? And I'm going to pay close attention because this is something I'm really (laughs) working on right now is like, take your time, chew your food. You don't need to rush off anywhere, but it is hard to remember to do that. And why is it important? Yeah. And I love the, one of the first things I ask you when I work with them is like, are you a fast, slow or moderate eater? Okay. You know, 70% for sure. Fast eater, myself included. Um, We just, we're addicted to speed in this culture. We want really fast internet. We want fast cars. We want fast service. We want everything fast. And, but Yes. So there's research to suggest just eating fast as is seen by the body as a stressor because we are supposed to be taking our time, being in community, like really noticing things. There's also something called the cephalic phase digestive response. And that is literally like this super fancy term, which just means the head phase of digestion. So it's the sight, the smell, the aroma, the texture of our food. And that is thought to be responsible for about 30 to 40% of our digestive capacity. 
anxiety. So when we're just eating, eating really quickly, we miss all that. And so our digestive capacity is shut down. And also like food is our most readily available source of pleasure. And we are biologically, we have to have pleasure in our life. I know our culture has a tricky relationship with that. I meet a lot of women for whom it's hard to experience or receive pleasure. It's like, it's very difficult, but we just need to realize that we have to do it. And eating slowly every single day is one simple way to kind of invite that into your life. And so it does, it just looks like it even starts with like setting the tone. If you can, even if you have like a favorite bowl, it sounds so silly, but like a favorite bowl, a favorite spoon, maybe some candlelight, some soft music, eating only with people that you love, taking five slow, deep breaths. And then again, being a curious eater, like something this year that is so simple that I've started doing is like just looking, noticing, like if I'm going to have a square of dark chocolate, I'm just going to look at it. Like, is there anything written on it? I didn't always do that. I was like, pop it in, moving on. But yeah, just taking the time looking, how does it smell? How does it taste? How does it feel when it goes down? And not only like noticing, but then also waiting for your body's feedback. How'd that feel? How do I feel 20 minutes after? I think it's just that complete, a lot of us are just eating and then moving on. And they've done some really interesting trials too, where they have this dichotomous listening task where they put like, you're learning about like physics in one ear and like, I don't know, like pop culture in the other. And then they have people eat. And what they learn is that the people who are relaxed and eating without the dichotomous listening task, they absorb hundred percent of like sodium and chloride, I think is what they measured in this particular study. And when you did the dichotomous listening task, completely shut down completely. So if we're multitasking, we're driving, we're watching movies, we're missing that experience. We're missing that pleasure. And so we will be, our body will prompt us. Okay. I need more because essentially it didn't happen for us. So it will say, eat more. I need more. So basically the more awareness you can bring and the slow speed you can bring to the dinner table, the more we're going to have to eat. And the fact that we're not going to be prompted to look for all these other sources of pleasure because we just took the time to be present with it. So I think like, presence and awareness is like helps your metabolism basically is what I'm trying to say. So wonderful. And I spent a lot of time in India many, many years ago. And what I loved about being specifically in South India is everyone eats with their hands. And when I got back, it stuck with me for the last seven years. I love eating with my hands because I take my time, you know, when you're shoveling food in your mouth with a fork, like it's so easy. But when you have your hands, you're like, you're touching all your food. Um, I really like like with raspberries, like I'll rub them against my lips. I'm like, oh, they're so Mm. soft. I just love this you know, like just taking my time with it. And I mean, I'm obsessed with, with just like holding the food. I mean, wash your hands before folks, obviously, (laughs) but just holding the food, taking my time with the food. I find that that really helps as opposed to using utensils. I can just, I have to go so much slower with my hands. And for somebody who, if you were to ask me, how fast are you eating? I'm like lightning speed, (laughs) get it down super fast. I'm like, Whoa, did I just eat? That just happened. So I find eating with my hands allows me to slow down. And I think too, what you said, taking our time and and eating around people that we care for. That's a big one. When I was in the corporate world and we go for those corporate lunches, I do not want to eat while we're talking shop about business stuff. I'm fasting. I'm not eating lunch because every time I would eat and we'd be stressed and talking numbers and revenues, I'd always have a stomach ache and it really affected me all the time. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. It's exactly, yeah, it's because we need to be in a relaxed state ideally for that to go well. Like you said, heartburn. That's one of those things when you're eating stressed, often heartburn is a result, gas, bloating, all of those digestive secretions that are supposed to be happening, they don't happen anymore. And I know there are like degrees of stress response, but yeah, also just allocating like 10 minutes even in the beginning was a struggle for me or to say, Autumn, you can't eat it in the car. Like start where you're at. You don't need to have this luxurious four hour meal all of a sudden, but just like little steps over time can make a big difference. What I was doing lately is like putting my chocolate under my tongue and just kind of letting it melt rather than just eating a square of chocolate and like uh, something like that. And there's this really fascinating story that Mark David shared with me that just like changed my view around this forever. And he was working with a doctor and this particular doctor of Chinese medicine, he was overweight. He wasn't feeling good. He had heartburn and all these digestive issues. And he was like, okay, what can I do? I don't want to change my diet, but every day I have two Big Macs for lunch and I go to McDonald's in the morning and I get like sausage McMuffins or whatever. I'm not going to change that but what can I do to feel better? And so Mark told him, go sit in your car, pull over, eat those Big Macs and savor every bite. Just look at it and like love it and take notice every taste. And the doctor called him back like a week later. And he's like, oh my gosh, I did it. And guess what? I hate Big Macs. I'm not going to eat them anymore. I was eating them so fast and I was putting on ketchup. I didn't even notice. But like when I actually started to pay attention to what I'm consuming, I realized I don't even like it. It wasn't serving me. And it was just another way to like facilitate dietary change. So I thought that was genius. I love that story. That's so true. (laughs) That is so true. I mean, I can relate, you know, we were talking about candy earlier over the last year. I've really, you know, like if I'm going to go off the ketogenic diet, it's always for candy. But over the last year, I've really taken my time with candy. Like I'll take my time. I'll sit there. I'll smell it. I'll taste it. I'll, I'll really stay present with the experience. And I've learned that I really don't actually like candy. It makes me feel quite horrible after. And the taste isn't all that good. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And I'm rarely found eating candy, if ever. Like, I don't don't know that I do, but like, I'll have something like, you know, like a sundae or like, I'm more of an ice cream girl. But the thing is, I wanted to share that it totally reminded me of like a lot of people who are like binge eaters are like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm so out of control. And what I often have to do and what's such a powerful intervention is exactly what you just said. In order to binge, you have to be in a stress response. So if you do that, we call it ritualize the binge. You say, yeah, I'm going to get those two pints of ice cream that I'm usually binging on. And I'm going to put one third of one in my favorite bowl. I'm going to light a candle. I'm just going to be there. I'm going to really pay attention. Um, it's usually enough for people to realize, wow, I, I, you know, maybe I just had one pint that night instead of the two. But yeah, it's a lot of us just checking out, missing the experience, eating about things completely other than food that are actually driving the behaviors. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. And you mentioned um, seasons before. Can we talk a little bit about like seasons of nourishment and going like the ebb and flow of, of things? 
Yeah. The season idea just kind of like helps us locate where we are with food. Right. And a lot of us are coming at it like, okay, well, I'm going to do this one diet because this is what's been successful and this is what's working now. And then I'm going to just bang my head against the wall. And even if it's not working anymore, I'm just going to stick with it. But know that we are cyclical creatures, especially women, and that we're going to go through these different phases. And like one, for instance, is just like a cleansing phase. And I know it was a few months back, but like New Year's is coming and we all have this like desire to like, kind of like tighten things up or like let go of processed foods or whatever. And so that's awesome. And we can be there for a while. Now, some of us get like it warped and we get stuck there, but like a successful cleansing phase will have an end. Like we'll feel a sense of renewal and then we'll put that away and then we can move on maybe to something like a building phase and feels building phases are like phases where you just feel more power. You feel like a natural sense of excitement and you're more attracted to more exercise and maybe more food and it's all good. Maybe you're gaining muscle. Maybe you're taking on a new adventure, whatever. And you realize sometimes that you can actually eat more during this phase and it doesn't bother you. And it's just what your body is calling for. And then we have something like a, a sustaining phase. And a lot of us like pathologize this phase. And this is called a plateau for a lot of people. It's like where your body just wants to stay wherever it wants to stay. And this phase is like asking us to, let's not be so concerned with what we're eating anymore, maybe. Let's go for other things in life. Let's focus on family or career or something else. But I think it's when we get this phase and then we get terrified about this phase and we get tight around this phase and then it won't change. And what does that mean about us? And sometimes it's just like the opposite. We need to relax into the phase, realize, ah, this is a season. I'm going to move through this. And the last one, I mean, there are several, but it's like the anything goes phase or like the celebration phase. We are just drawn to food as entertainment and food for the sake of pleasure. And these are often times of like transition, celebration in life. And I just hope that we can also greet those with like love and like embrace that rather than like beating ourselves up for, oh my gosh, look at me. I am so, my willpower, it just sucks. I'm a willpower weakling. It's like, no, I'm a person moving through a season and I can let myself go there. I'll move out of that season too. So I think the idea is just moving, paying attention. What are you needing now? And staying curious and non-judgmental, no matter what that might be. Yeah, I, th I think people get stuck either thinking that they need to stay in this phase forever. Like I can't tell you how many women I've worked with and they've eaten the same macros every day, the same calories every day, done the exact same thing for the last six years. <laughs> like how even like I yeah no we need to switch it up <laughs> it needs we have to be switched to. the body needs variety the body needs pleasure and the body needs to be paid attention to and I am I'm guilty of that or I could be like I'm a very type a I'm like okay well I want to be efficient and I don't want to have to think about food all the time but I find that when I get in that place things don't go well for me health wise and I do I start to get that uptight place and I need to just like okay let's go have something like you know like let's go out to dinner and have a dessert and I'll sell celebrate and like just enjoy things. And so, yeah, it's just like moving through those phases. And also like for a woman's cycle, I find that too, like I'm kind of in the building phase in the beginning. And then I have, you know, the end is a little more like I just need to eat emotionally or anything goes kind of phase. And then we kind of move back. So yeah, just like appreciating and embracing that about ourselves is important. 
I'm really glad that you talked about the cycle. That's something that I've been really fascinated with over the last year and bringing in different foods at different times of our cycle, different fasting techniques. What I do on day two of my cycle is completely different than day 27. (laughs) Yes, me too. I'm totally a faster in the beginning of my cycle in that follicular phase. It's easy for me. It's just like, this is what my body wants. It's, It's fine. But in those last few days, oh, heck no, I am not going to be fasting. My body is just telling me I need food. You know, I need to make progesterone, give me what I want. And I'm not going to deny that. Like I would have before my former self, but, but I know now that I'm just working against my biology. I'm not going to win that battle. So never, (laughs) you're never going to win. And when you push so hard, then that's, those are those times, at least for me, where I push, push, push. And then three days later, my face is buried in something that I wanted just a little bit of. (laughs) And that I just had that little bit, I could have moved on from life, but I didn't. And then it turned it into a huge thing. (laughs) I know. I know. Usually I don't have sugar in the house, but sometimes I find I just like to have a little some sweet treat because I can obsess about that. And then, like you said, end up eating the whole pint of ice cream or I can just have a little bit and then be like, oh, cool. That's great. Moving on. Yeah. And I think also for myself with anxiety, that's kind of like the ticket for me is if somebody says, Hey, do you want to go out for breakfast? And I get anxiety of like, but I'm fasting right now. And how am I going to make that work? I'm like, yes, I will go out for breakfast. Cause this is a great lesson for me. Cause I just experienced anxiety and I need to work through this like an adult. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Lean in. We always think like those, those strong emotions mean we shouldn't be doing whatever it is that we're thinking about doing. And it's often the opposite. We just need to lean into it. My experience is not so much about food around this. It's just like guilt around mama guilt. Oh man. And like my friend asked me to go hiking the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, that's four hours. And what is he going to do? And I was like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going because I have to go and I have to prioritize myself and I have to lean into those uncomfortable emotions. And it's only then that you'll like move through them and, you know, evolve and, and be more comfortable prioritizing yourself. So yeah, couldn't agree more. And learn that it wasn't such a big deal. <laughs> and so, like, Breaking the fast. You'll probably be okay. You'll be fine, Leanne. You're not going to die. It'll be okay. <laughs> Just constantly reiterating that fact over and over and over. Um, yeah. What are some of the, maybe like three simple steps that people can use or listeners today can use to really improve their relationship with food. They've just heard this great conversation, but what are like some three big takeaways? Okay. Well, the first one I want to talk about is like, I didn't really, this is one of the first things I always do with my clients and that's to create a pleasure inventory because a lot of times when we're doing like overeating behavior, binging behavior, whatever, it's because we don't have enough pleasure in our life. And so food is our most readily available source of pleasure. And so if we make a list, top 10 things I would do on a Saturday when I woke up, I had nobody to care for and the world was just mine. Like, what would you do? Like for me, it's just hiking. I'd create a playlist. I'd probably go for a dance party. I'd get some coffee with a good friend. I'd walk the dog, whatever, make it up for you. And then make sure that you're just adding at least three of those into your week every week. We just all have, we need more pleasure, especially today. Oh my gosh. So that's the first thing I do. And then the second thing I would do is of course, eating slowly. It sounds so simple. It is so simple. And when I work with people, so few of them are actually doing it. But like I said before, starting where you're at, if you're right now a car eater while you're driving person, <laughs> just try not to do that. Like pull over and eat. Okay. Or, and if you're someone who takes five minutes, try taking 10 minutes. Okay. Just like meet yourself where you're at, but make 
making a concerted effort just to eat a little bit more slowly and to be really, really present because that's going to change the amount that you need to eat and your metabolism. So that's pretty cool. The last one, well, actually I have like two more and that would be doing things, not only from a place of curiosity, but also from a place of like love. Like you just made for an example, like you didn't want, you got anxious because you wanted to go to breakfast, probably some sort of fear about what would happen if you weren't fasting. And when you notice those thoughts based in fear, yeah, like working to dismantle them, move through them. And remembering you want to take the actions that are motivated by love, love for my body. And like, you did that right there. Like, okay, I need to move through this because I'm anxious and just noticing how am I motivated here? Just taking a moment to pause. Like, where is that coming from? Is it a place of love? Is it a place of fear? And just like trying to move more of your decisions from a place of love. And then the last one is authenticity. Didn't talk about it a lot, but a lot of times eating challenges, just challenging behavior in general is just because we are not in alignment with our truth. We're not doing the things that we want to be doing. We're not feeling fulfilled. We're in a dynamic where we're not feeling empowered and on and on. But if you can just find I have people do like a desire inventory and like, no matter how silly it sounds, the top 10 things that you would want, like that you've always wanted, go back to when you're a little girl. And then just seeing like, how is what I'm doing aligning with these things? It's often very insightful and impactful. So those would be my four things. That's awesome. And Autumn, where can people learn more from you, connect with you? Where can they go to find all your stuff? Okay. You guys can come over to paleovalley.com and wildpastures.com. Those are the two businesses I didn't even mention. I'm the worst marketer ever, but that's probably a good thing. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we create like organic food products over at paleovalley.com and supplements. And then Wild Pastures is our meat delivery service. It's a regenerative meat delivery service. And so we only source from farmers who are like using and measuring ecological outcomes to determine how is how are our practices impacting the quality of the soil. So that's wildpastures.com. You can also reach out to me just personally at autumn at paleovalley.com. If you're mad about something I said, or you're happy about it, I just, I like all feedback. I'm open to it all. So yeah, reach out to me any of those ways. I love that. Autumn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're always a blast to chat with and thank you for sharing with our listeners. You're so welcome. Always a pleasure. Great to see your face. I hope you really enjoyed today's conversation. I will include links in today's show notes with a couple more resources if you want to check those out. Episode 316 is coming up pretty soon here. We're going to be chatting about how to start keto and all the ins and outs of getting started on your ketogenic diet. So have a great rest of your day and we will see you then. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.